Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar, and happy 2020! This is the first episode of the new year. Ryan and I sat down right before Christmas, I think it was uh, December 23rd or so, and this will be coming out on January 2nd. I'm doing the monologue right now on January 1st, and getting ready to edit the podcast together. It's been such a blast. And one of the New Year's resolutions I had for many years was to start a podcast. Well, now I have a podcast. (laughs) And I've done a good job, for the most part, of holding myself accountable to putting one of these suckers out every other week, aside from uh, the little break between Season 1 and Season 2. But it's been a lot of fun, and, and I hope to keep doing it, and I hope that folks enjoy listening and You know, if you do, leave some feedback, uh, give me some recommendations of people to interview, things you like, things you don't like, reach out to me at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. My guest today is Ryan Chris. We have a special bond. I, I I always feel a special bond with other people who are fronting a band that has that's titled after themselves. I have Andy Sido band. Ryan has Ryan Chris and the Rough Cuts. I interviewed Mac, uh, Matt Buck- Buckstein a couple weeks ago. Excuse me. And his his band is Buckstein. There's just a certain there's just a th- certain thing. I don't know what it is. If if I'd you just relate to each other. Um, we share a lot of the same struggles, which we talk about on the podcast. You know, you get all the. All the glory, but you also you also get all the guts as well, um, and and everything comes down on you, and it gets difficult sometimes. It's hard to keep players around. It's hard to keep players happy. It's hard to do everything from booking to social media and get yourself to a level where somebody else cares to to help you, where someone else wants to jump on board. And there's just a there's just a lot of struggles with it. So that that's actually what a lot of this conversation's about. And we talk about Ryan's musical journey and where he came from growing up in Montana, some bands he played in, and how he came to form the Rough Cuts and some of the the different people he's had play with them, uh, play with him in that band. Um, I think that's about it. Before we jump in, I, I was I told myself I was going to keep the monologue short today. If you have any New Year's resolutions or goals, I hope you achieve them. I write down goals every year, although I have not yet for 2020. I will sit down and get that done in the next couple of days. I was trying to catch up with some finance stuff and uh, and with getting the podcast out, honestly. <clears throat> I sort of went all out with goals for, for a few years, and last year, 2019, I still wrote goals, but I wasn't quite as... I don't know what the word is. I wasn't quite as adamant about as many goals because I found myself just doing things to achieve the goal, but realizing that I wasn't necessarily getting out of it what I should be. Uh, last a couple years ago, I wanted to read 25 or 30 books, and I was just rushing through things to get through it instead of picking out some things that I wanted to read and taking the time to enjoy it. And, and there was a few things like that on my list, so I kind of... Last year was sort of a regroup year, and, you know, with all that in mind, that's how I'll approach my goals for, for 2020, but I'll have to get back to you on that because I haven't done it yet. Without further ado, let's jump into my interview with Ryan Chris. 
What's happening, Ryan? Howdy. <laughs> uh, it's holiday season. It's holiday season. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, perfect. You're perfect right there. Um, you got your coffee? Are you all? Are you awake? Uh, partially awake. You know, by the end, I'll probably be waking up as the coffee gets finished. Yeah, good, good. And you just you just came in late last night from from California, right? Yes, Visiting some family. Mm-hmm. Good time. Good times. You just hanging here for the holiday. It's the twenty third of December for our listeners right now at the time of interview. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Here, uh, sitting around, no family in Denver, so we just, we just, yeah, hang out. It's just you. Oh, well, that's, that's kind of nice, though. Yeah, it hang is. Out, nice, relaxing holiday. Um, what's the next big show coming up? You're doing something at the Gothic, right? Yeah, January 3rd at the Gothic Theater. We're opening for Shane Smith and the Saints, so stoked to do that. And you can buy a pre-sale ticket if you're living in Denver and listening to this episode. Yes, you can. Shoot Ryan a Venmo at, yeah. what's the handle? Ryan Chris, R-O-Y-A-N-C-H-R-Y-S. Or you can message our website or our Facebook page, roughcutsband.com or Ryan Chris and the Rough Cuts on Facebook. Any of those contact methods would work. Boom. I just picked one up myself so we can all we can all hang out together and throw beer. Yeah. Not at the stage, but, ju- you know, at each other. Right. <laughs> Let's face it, at the stage. Yeah, at the stage. Well, Dave... <laughs> I, not for, not during your set, all right? We'll do it before or after. Before or after. Okay, let's face it, during our set. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad. I'm, I've been wanting to have you on for a while because I, I talk, to a lot of, talk to a lot of local Colorado musicians who are out there doing the thing, and you're somebody who I'm constantly seeing is you're on the road all the time. You're, you're a road warrior. You're playing big shows all the time. Um, and I think you also have a clear... Uh, you're clear about your market too, which a lot of us are not. You say, "Hey, we're modern outlaw country. This is what we are." Um, and though I, you know, as I've seen you live, there's you're doing lots of different things. Um, it's I think you've branded yourself very well, and uh, that's something I notice about your group. Thanks. Yeah, um, I'm never certain about that or anything, so. <laughs> Well, it's working for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, so let's go. Let's go back a little bit. Where did you Where did you grow up? How'd you first get into music? What happened? Um, kind of the the quick summary is um, born and raised in Montana, and uh, my mom was a folk singer. Uh, played guitar and piano and. Sang a lot of Joan Baez stuff, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, taught me to strum some chords. And, uh, yeah, I've been strumming chords ever since. And um, moved down here from Missoula. And... Uh, so your mom was... Your mom went on the road and did, and did stuff, yeah? Um, she played around... L.A. a lot. She played the Troubadour and um, some of the famous places in Hollywood. And but she didn't. It was more of a hobby for her. Yeah, she wasn't I trying mean, to make it. Wasn't it wasn't too late in life. I mean, she started out strong, but then later in life decided she wanted to move to Montana, um, where she continued to sing. But um, 
her passion was ranching. Wow. And uh, yeah, and so that's where I was born on the, out on the ranch. On so the are, you a, are you a are you a are you a rancher or farmer of sorts? Rancher, cattle rancher. Yeah. Grew up waking up every this Christmas always makes me think of it because uh, before we could have Christmas morning opening Christmas presents, we'd have to go feed the cows and you know chop the water and do the chores, and then we'd come in about you know. Even on Christmas. Even on Christmas. <laughs> uh, so if somebody were to uh, will you a ranch here in Colorado, you'd know what to do with it. At least I'd have an idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, build a big old barn and make a studio and grow some something out of the ground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, so what... What was that like, really, being growing up in that environment? Was there a, a lot of friends around? Is there, uh, I mean, did you hang hang around at the ranch mostly? Did you have siblings? What was what was childhood like there? Yeah, I had a brother, and we pretty much just hung out there and did ranch stuff. In the winter, we took care of the cattle, and summer we irrigated, built fence, and um, did all that. My brother was older. And uh, he loved ACDC, had it cranked all the time. So my right ear, I had ACDC and, you know, a lot of the great rock bands. And my other ear, my mom's ear, was folk and country. She liked, you know, Emmylou Harris and Crystal Gale and, you know, Dolly Parton and all those artists. Yeah, wow. See so it a lot of good a lot of good influences in it. Sounds like a broad spectrum of influences as a kid. Yeah. And what at what point did you did you move out to Denver? You did college and everything in in uh in Montana and you're in the Missoula area. What uh was it the music career that said, "Hey, I want to come out to Denver?" Yeah, well, um I was in a band in Missoula and with my brothers my older brother's roommate who played the bass and he was from Denver and he graduated and moved back home to Denver. And, uh, so I was like, man, I want to play music and where am I going to go? And what's, so he's like, come on down. And so we got the band back together and I lived on his couch for a year and haven't left. How old were you at that point? This was later on because we did some stuff. I guess I don't know. Twenties, somewhere in my twenties. So this wasn't right out of college that you made the move. Yeah. Um, What did did what you major in? Business. Okay. So and you were playing music at that point as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then hung around. Rock and roll. Yeah, Rock and, and then roll. hung around and tried to do some other bands and uh, worked. And, uh, yeah, you know, tried to, tried to do music in Montana, which I found is really hard. Although you go back and play a good bit there, right? Yes, go back and play, but... And it's awesome. I love it. But uh, it's still, there's, 
so far removed, as you know. You right. Played all up there, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when did that first band in, in Denver break up? What was the first band in Denver? Uh, the Types was the band, and I played the drums. Really? The drummer. Yeah. Still love to play the drums, and I played drums for some cool Denver bands. Um, and yeah, and then it just, I went and I played for, uh, Aubrey Collins, a solo artist at the time for a long time. We moved out to LA, um, and did some cool stuff, played the Roxy theater, played the pipe room a few times and a bunch of the cool places. And, and I was in part of U.S. Pipe, which was a really cool funk band in Denver back in the day. And we opened for George Clinton and played film on the rocks and did some cool stuff. And I was a member of SPIV, which was a cool rock and roll band by Johnny Barber. And we did some cool stuff. And those were all great bands. I was just a guitar player in the scene for a long time. And I never sang and I never did anything but be a guitarist. Really? Um, at what point did you say, I want to start singing and writing songs? A point too late in time, really. Not too late, but later than I'd hoped because I was in all these bands doing all this work and trying to do all these things. And, um, you know, I had invest a year or two or three or four into a band and and then something would happen and the lead singer would quit or the band would break up or for whatever reason, the band dissolved and I'd have to start over again. And finally I was, after too many years, I'm just like, that's it. I'm going to learn to sing and I'm going to start a band and do it myself because none of these other, no other bands seem to be able to stay together. And I guess if you're the front person, only you decide when the band breaks up. That's right. Yeah. I've heard that from a I've heard that from a few different people where they invest their you know, body and soul into a group and then it breaks up and because they were, were just the guitar player or whatever, um, they gotta go, they gotta go do something else, start over and it kinda stinks. Yeah. Um so what it's you're tough. what was well, actually getting back into that a little bit what was was there one group where you felt like you dedicated a lot of time and you thought the group was really something special and was you know going to be a a big name in in your scene and then it and then it dissolved yeah i kind of felt that ultimately about them all otherwise i wouldn't have put so much into them because they all had special things about them that could make could made or or make them you know, successful in the long run. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, yeah, none of them did. So, um, is there is there one in particular that uh, that sticks out to you as you as you think about it? Well, like Aubrey Collins' band, really, I think could have gone away you know, yeah she was just an incredible singer still is an incredible singer and and the music had an edge and it was great i i think that could have um 
but a lot of the projects I were in, I was in, um, Spiv was really great songwriting and fun, and U.S. Pipe just had a huge audience and was in the jam scene that you know, which is a completely opposite scene from the pop or rock scene, um, but a very organic scene, which was great, and played for Angie Stevens for a long time, and hmm. you know she was doing really well right yeah so the rough cuts officially formed what was it in 2012 2013 2013 who was the original lineup that was everybody's gone now it's so so sad to me but everybody's so great friends uh vic paul and bradley and um we we really gave her hell we took her to the limit for like four or five years four years and uh, and the money just wasn't there to hold it all together ultimately and and or life changes and bradley had a baby and a family and we weren't making enough money really um for us all to survive kind of yeah yeah what were the first steps as the band there? Where were what were some of your first gigs? Did you start touring right away? Um, about a year after, I started to try and get out of the state. A year and a half after, but that was easier for me at that point because I had all this experience in other bands. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, started started playing around all the local shows we could possibly find and get. Sure, and um, trying to make sure that the sound was good, and and then um, trying to look at ways to move forward, and you know whether it was to find an agent or to find a label or to um, you know get that one song in the hands of radio people, or you know there's kind of different roads you can pursue and. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, 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 you know, I know our product isn't something that any label or agency is probably going to invest in, but that doesn't mean it's, it's not, you know, something that won't connect with somebody. It's, um, it just means you have to do more work in your own hands and, and start booking things that whatever you can, whenever you can, however you can, even though it's hard and not good and costs money. Yeah. I, could, I, could <laughs> I feel comfortable telling you all this because, you know, such as yourself, we both know what it's all about. But a lot of people don't. You know how hard and how low you have to go to get anywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I can uh, I can totally relate, and and I I don't necessarily think that that's true that a, a booking agent wouldn't invest in you guys. I think uh, one would be stupid not to with how hard you guys work and how many shows you play out of state. But it's true that you don't all you you may not ultimately need one. Versi, um, and it's cool that we're seeing so many uh, little indie bands pop up and all of a sudden start selling out bluebird sized venues um, when they come in on tour. So. Um, yeah. 
But I, something that I, I think about a lot, and I guess cur- curious on what, what your thoughts are when it comes to that sort of thing is a tipping point. Um, I spend a lot of time thinking about that with my band when I see other bands who I feel like have reached a tipping point. Um, there's something I, we were just talking about the the Co Wetzel show. We got to open for for Co at the Ogden on Thursday night, and I thought, man, this guy's about a year younger than I am. Um, he started his band five six years ago, and he was playing in, uh, you know, little dive bars like me. And at some point, at some point in time between there and now, he's able to headline large thousand, two thousand cap rooms all over the country and headline uh, large festivals. There was uh, obviously he put in a lot of time and hard work, but a lot of us have put in a lot of time and hard work. Um, not everybody reaches a tipping point. And so I, I always wonder, and I look at these, these guys and gals that I, in my eyes have made it. Um, and I say, well, what was their tipping point? And so that's something I want to ask you is if, if you can take yourself out of your body for a second and be a, be a spectator and watch Ryan Chris and watch the rough cuts, um, and, and look at how you do everything, right? Your social media, your live shows. What do you think the tipping point will be for you guys? If we get somewhere, I'm a glass half full guy. I'm going to say when, <laughs> uh, when, yes, uh, that's a good question. And, uh, you know, I agree with you. I, that there are a lot of projects out there that have a tipping point. And um, the tipping point was when they got the slot opening on a tour for so-and-so, or they got, you know, this great booking agent, or they got, you know, uh, you know, whatever they, they, they had a song that somebody passed on and got caught on, you know, there's those potential tipping points. And all of those are potential tipping points for us, but this far along for musicians like us, I I don't even know if there's a tipping point. If the tipping point is that we just work, continue to work hard and hard and, and there really isn't a tipping point. And there's been bands like that, you know, and those are the type of bands in the jam scene that are, you know, bands like, you know, the maybe the ultimate examples like the string cheese or something but you know like the new master sound i'm I'm just thinking of kind of that that scene where you never hear the bands all of a sudden you just realize this band is you know been playing does three nights at red rocks yeah (laughs) Yeah. or has been playing cervantes for 10 years and it's sold out for 10 years but nothing ever changes or yeah you know it's just like it's like there's been no tipping point. They're just always around, and sometimes their shows are well attended, and sometimes they're not. And and nobody, you know, I don't know. So it's I it's interesting. I just you you pick up a fan, you pick up two fans, you pick up five fans that are drunk, and then forget who you are. So those five fans are gone. You pick up three more, and it's it at some point. I just you see with a lot of folks that there's some sort of a domino effect. Maybe it doesn't take them right to superstardom, but there's some sort of, oh, 
that one person wore the t-shirt or mm-hmm. or whatever <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. um and and maybe it is just continued hard work gives you more opportunities for a tipping point mm-hmm. yeah i think so and hopefully you know we'll get a, a song would be a great tipping point oh that's that's such a good song that somebody who doesn't ever share will actually share it you know or whatever yeah um or you know we'll get you know invited to open a tour rather than a show i mean having just played the ogden can you imagine opening a tour like that rather than just one i mean i thought about that a lot having opened a lot of shows like that it's like can we do I, six more of these with you guys? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> that's how labels break bands. That's what artists like us need that aren't going to get on TV or the radio, but you put us in a, on a show and, you know, we're going to make fans. Yeah. And so. What I, that's something we're talking about uh, all the time in, in my group and, and with, uh, with Ellie is, we want to get on a tour. We want to get on a whole tour. And that's very hard to do, especially because if, uh, if that band is with a management company or booking agency, they're likely to take someone else who's smaller than them on that management or booking agency. As you said, um, have you gotten close to anything like that? Have you talked to a big artist after a good opener with them or with a tour manager or anything like that? Yes. Um, and you're absolutely right. it's nothing to do with the agency. The agency will always pick a band from their roster. That's just how it is. So why wouldn't they? Yeah. Um, but you know, the artists themselves have the power to say, I want to take my friend and he's not maybe on here, but I have the ultimate say. So my friend's going to open and we can have the roster band open later on or whatever. Yeah. Most of the time the roster bands are their friends, but, um, you know, I, I think there is that, that power that the artist can say, you know, I want to have so-and-so band open in which case, you know, it behooves you to develop a relationship with, if you can, with artists, um, to be to the point where, Sometimes you could say, you know, can I open a couple shows for you? Can I open, you know, more than just this show that you need an opener for here for whatever reason? And, um, you know, we're kind of all trying to get to that point where we can develop a relationship with a major artist so that we can say, hey, we want to open the tour. But um, I've found a lot of these artists, you know, once they get to that point of everything is taken care of them, they made it successful. They show up to their show and they play it. Um, they don't want to worry about opening bands and relationships and, you know, they don't want to do anything, but get to the gig, play their gig and live their life. Right. And that's what we all strive for. Right. And, uh, so that route of trying to get on a tour is difficult too. And and a lot of the artists that I've met where it could work are super wonderful. You know, and I've asked some of those artists, but, um, you know, like Reverend Payton and Shooter and 
Um, yeah, that, those would both be killer slots for sure. Yeah, and they're like, yeah, man, love to have you open. You know, contact my manager or the uh-huh. agent. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, they never. And they respond. may even genuinely mean it too. It, yeah, but uh, but they, it's not there. That's as far as they'll go to, you know. Yeah. And of course, the management and booking won't have anything to do with it. You know, they already have their own friends who they're wanting right. to get up there, let alone sure. the roster bands. So. Sure. So if, if you could open for um, a mid-level act on a, on a 20-date tour, uh, who would it be? And if you could open for a large arena act on a 20-date tour, who would it be? Man, I could go on and on, but I'd love to open a shooter tour. Shooter Jennings. Yeah. Um, or uh, Blackberry Smoke or... Oh, that'd be cool. Sturgill Simpson or, you know, any of, any, of the, any of the crew from Whitey Morgan and Cody Jinks and those guys to, you know, in, you know, uh, Sturgill to Stapleton, you know, big or small. Yeah. Any of those, I mean, obviously would be super. Yeah, that would be, that would be <laughs> killer. Um, and your music does sort, sort of strike me in that, in that vein with, with Whitey Morgan and Cody Jenks and, and stuff like that. And, uh, I think you have the look for it too, you know? I th- I I wouldn't be surprised if you were on uh, on level with those guys, you know, in a couple years. It's it's just, you know, maybe it's that tipping point. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this music has really taken off and it's kind of a big scene now. Or 6 years ago when I started there it wasn't at all. Uh-huh. But now you have these kind of artists that are doing really well in this kind of underground country, you know, market or scene, I should say. Yeah. Is that what you'd call it? An underground country market? Um, it's just, uh, it's an underground scene period. I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of like an outlaw movement really. I mean, you have a lot of these, scruffy bearded you know kind of old school real country attitude and music guys that um are touring a lot and and filling up small rooms and kind of their names are being shared together and they're appearing on stage together and um that's the part of the scene that I'm watching, you know. Now, if you consider that in pop and rock, I don't see that happening right now. Probably not. Yeah. No, it seems to be a lot of stuff going on in the country in the country vein. Um, what what does a, a band have to have in their sound to you to be able to consider to be considered country? I know we have uh, pop country, bro country modern outlaw country, uh, red dirt country. We could probably go back and forth for hours, but what, uh, what defines the word country for you? Um, there are 
several things for me maybe, but I think for the industry at large now, because of all these different types of country, I, I think it's come down to just the lyrics. Because it used to be, well, country has a steel, country has a fiddle, or country has, you know, um, it's got a, a swing, or it's got, you know, it's, and all these different genres, types of country do have these different elements, but now you don't know if you're listening to country or not until someone says, this is a country song, this is a pop song. The only real way you <laughs> yeah. can tell the difference is listen to the lyric. Does the guy say he's sitting on his tailgate drinking a bud, or does he say, you know, he's, you know, I don't even know, but yeah, yeah. The, the, the lowest denominator to me right now is lyrics. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that uh, I think that's probably correct. We do. I do see a lot of different groups coming up right now that have country in the label somewhere. Um, not necessarily their at, as their primary genre, but somewhere. And I look around and go, man, this is a big ass genre. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. um, so I, you guys, the rough, the rough cuts tour a lot and you, you do how many out of state shows you do in a year, like 150 kind of thing. I haven't, I've been actually, now that the year's almost over, I've been meaning to count, count them up and see yeah. and, and get our numbers. Cause I haven't done that. Um, but I think I'm thinking this year we played maybe as many shows as we've ever played, and I've been playing at least 150 for like the last five years or six years. My God, you know, not now five years ago, you know, 110 of those were in state probably. Yeah, and now, you know, maybe 100 of those are out of state or something. You know, I'm yeah, not sure. I'll have to look, but it's, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a whole lot. Um and you're are you booking all these? Yes. Now uh that has changed monthly, daily. It's like I've had agents helping me, I've had friends helping me, I've had some people helping me and come and go and come and go. But mostly it's all me. Yeah. Yeah common denominator there yeah you're making the making the train go um what i i you sort of mentioned this earlier bands are doing different things as they're coming up to to gain a fan base we have some artists now who explicitly say i don't want to tour i think that's nuts i think that's that's why i started listening to music in the first place because i pictured myself in the mirror up on stage you know but that's not everybody's vision, especially now as new kids are coming up uh, who are born in the YouTube era or whatever. But some people don't play live at all. Some people focus as much time as you spend booking into their Instagram posts uh, or, or getting onto a Spotify playlist or making a YouTube channel with high-quality tutorials, whatever. Um, energy is going into a lot of different places. And I think it's hard uh, for somebody to say, you need to spend this percentage of your time booking and this percentage of your time working on your Facebook profile. And there's doesn't seem to be one right formula. Um, you, I think, have gone the route of picking up your fans through touring. 
and yeah. and you're uh you know you've got a lot of monthly listeners I, i've checked the other day it was seven or eight hundred or maybe even a thousand monthly listeners and you're picking up those from your live show they yeah. go see ryan chris and the rough cuts and they go follow you on on spotify and uh, and listen to your songs so that's certainly one way to do it uh why do you think it is that you've taken that approach and gone strongly in that direction of live show that's another good topic yeah because there is all these different strategies to approach that you can succeed by and really it could be the best one is to not tour to stay in your basement make amazing posts and keep putting out singles and when one hits and you go directly from your basement to big stages you know or yeah that's a great strategy i i consider that all the time is like should i be doing it this way but um yes that you know the kind of the bottom line is i love to play live music and i do love to tour and um you know for a band it's like the rough cuts it's it's more integral that we have a, a big section of our energy in touring because we're not a TV band you know we're not a a band that probably a label is ever going to be interested unless we have a hit on our own yeah um, by that time it'll be on our own but um, so um, I just knew you know there are two you know used to be there were only two ways to do it you tour and gain fan one at a time till you make it or you get a hit you know and you get signed or whatever and while those two conditions still exist like you said there's a lot of different subways to do it now and uh you can do it just off really well done social media and or any any of these things and um, but yeah, I, I just kind of knew for this project to work, it had to tour a lot to, to do the grassroots way Yeah, to really get those connections and, and meet the people and just, just do it, you know, just like the old days before social media and all that. Well, and I think, I think you clearly stand for that too with your project and people know that you're, you're doing it the old way. You're doing it the right way. You're, you know, pounding the pavement kind of thing. And in the long run, maybe that's more beneficial than having a big hit in one big tour. Uh, and then sitting back in your basement again, you know, I, yeah. doing it the grassroots way. I think, uh, if you get where you're trying to go, always pay, uh, pays off in the end, but it's been, it's been interesting to watch, so many different indie bands with so many different strategies. And I love that you guys are like, man, we're just going to go play. And I look at your tour schedule all the time when you post things up online, like, God damn, this dude hasn't slept in his own bed for like 40 days. <laughs> um, it's crazy. And you're, you're all over the place. Do you find when you go to repeat towns, do you find there's some places you've played in two dozen times and whether you have three people there or 50 people there, is just sort of a toss up on what else is going on in town that night? Or are you seeing 
a gradual build pretty much everywhere you play? Um, good question. And, um, it depends. There are both. And what we, what I've started out doing was testing the markets. Cause I was like, okay, I need to concentrate on, you know, four or five markets only and work them. Okay. I think I know what these markets are, but I'm not sure we need to go out and do some, you know, and, uh, reconnaissance touring, to go and check out a bunch of places. And, um, we did that and learned a lot, did it, did it again, did it again, still doing it. But this, but finally by now I have a good idea of places that I've discovered that answer your question there, which is, do they come back to see you? Are you building something or is it just, you know, every time it's like, you know, who who's this what's going on why am i here yeah and um and that's kind of our whole goal right now is to find all those pockets of places that build and places that um we like to go and places that take care of us and weeding out the places that don't um because there are both and it seems like there's no rhyme or reason why why do people care in this town at this venue and why don't they at this town in this venue and I'm not sure the reason for that but um, it is true it happens and so you know each time we do a tour we try to go back to the places that um, are good for us and then look for new places also yeah it's a uh... That's I, I think the one thing I, I think about when I think should I be spending more time on something else rather than booking the live show is there's certainly places where I've been a whole bunch of times and they treat us well and they pay us. Um, but I, I'm never quite sure if there's any audience return on it, you know? Yeah. Um, but some places do. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's rogue indie touring for you, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and some places though, I also feel like regardless of, of that part of it, it's something that has to be done, you know, to be in the industry, industry eye, to be, um, noted or to be considered by some magical industry eye far off that we're not seeing, you know, so you could look at a town or a venue as like, this is good for the band, for audience or money or any of this thing. Um, or, you know, if we're on this calendar, then this scene or industry might see us and know that, you know, we're out here. Sure. And I feel like Nashville is kind of one of those. It's like, I, I could not play Nashville ever again because it's, you know, such a tough town because the talent pool is so full. But you know there's a ton of industry people there that, you know, may or may not see your name in a blip somewhere. And and um, 
So it's kind of important to pass through there every once in a while. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't, I don't know, but I feel like there's also that in addition to considering whether are we building a crowd, are we making money, you know, should we go back here, not go here, you know, and is there value, other values that we're not considering. And yeah, there's all those things that go into considering where to play and where to go back to and all that. Yeah, sure. Sure. And you're, uh, you're still at it. You've been going at it for a long time. Um, you're not an old guy by any means, but you're not a young buck either. How does, how does that affect your touring? Have you ever said anything like, okay, well, if I'm not at X, Y, Z stage in my career at 50, I'm done with this. I'm going to go do something else. Or, or are you, are you going to do it till the day you die and, and sleep on couches if you have to and, and keep grinding the pavement? When I was younger, I thought, yeah, when I get to X, you know, this is what's going to happen or, you know, not that I was going to quit. I was just going to retire back to Montana and go out on the road. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, um, ultimately, no, I, I know I'll always do music, um, because it's, it's the only thing that, you know, lights the candle, you know, for me. And, uh, and it's fun to, I'm lucky to have a passion at all. And, um, and I really enjoy learning and find and seeing other people's passions, whether it's music or sailing or, you know, painting or helping people or, you know, any of those kinds of things. And that's what mine is. So I may be sleeping on couches the rest of my life. I don't know. That would, at the end, if I die on someone's couch <laughs> after playing a terrible dive bar, at least, you know, I didn't give up and, and I was doing something that I, that I felt passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And do you, I'm not sure. Do you, do you have a family of your own at this point? I have no family, which is, I have a wife and a yeah. stinky chihuahua, which is also, <laughs> uh, you know, why I, you know, a lot of my attention is on my passion because if I had another mouth to feed or whatever, it'd be different probably. Do you ever think about that? Uh, Having, what if I had a kid or anything like that? Yeah, I have. And, uh, um, and, I haven't been afraid of any of those scenarios. Um, but, and I've been open to all scenarios and I, and I've just gone with my situation as it is day to day, year to year. And my mom actually said one thing important. I was like, well, I don't want to get married and have kids and all this. Cause then I won't have any time, you know, to, to work on music and this and that. And, and, uh, she had said something that turned out to be very true. And that is you may have less time, but you'll be more productive in that short, in that smaller amount of time. 
you know, and it doesn't mean that you're not going to have what you need to achieve the same success. You might have more, you might be empowered to get it, you know, to be even more inspired. Wow. And, and it'll actually help you. Whereas you're like, no, I'm not having kids cause I got to work music. And then you struggle for 10 years, you know, or you have two kids and you have this incredible inspiring moment. You write a song and you make it in a year, you know, you just don't know. So yeah, I've, tried to not be afraid of how the cards have fall, whether in my personal life and, and they are how they are now, but, um, whether they had fallen in some other direction or not, I know my passion is still my passion. So, yeah. Well, I think that's a really good advice from Mrs. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's talk about the current band. I know you and I have sat down and had coffee before and talked, and one of the things we talked about was how hard it is to keep uh, band members around if they're not necessarily an equal stake in the band. Um, if it's if it's your band and your songs and your name on it, it's tough. And I, I chatted with Buckstein about this uh, two weeks ago a lot as well. Um, but you've done a pretty good job. I know you've gone through some different players, but you've done a pretty good job of it. Who are the who's who's the current lineup? Um, and also, maybe chat about Michael a little bit because I know he was uh, a big staple in the band for a long time. Yeah, and Bradley was a huge staple, and I was crushed when he left. Huge part of the sound. Um, and I have an incredible band right now. It's I'm just over the moon grateful. Um, and uh, they're my friends, you know, my best friends. And uh, that is just phenomenal. Um, but that doesn't mean it's easy to do anything at all because scheduling and how to, how to survive monetarily in our lives just makes things so challenging. Um, which is actually a very difficult point for me touring is I don't even know who I'm touring with. You know, the band, the touring band is not the band that we see in Denver and that we're trying to make successful. Yeah. The touring band is whoever is willing to it. go out and <laughs> sleep on couches and eat beans with me. Um, but, um, yeah, right now we have, uh, Joe Colomb on drums who's in for Michael. Uh, Michael just had back surgery. I'll talk about that. And Susan Phelan on bass, Jack Yoder on guitar. Yeah. Steel, harmonica, bass, vocals. He's doing all kinds of things. And Lauren Michaels on vocals, which changing our sound monumentally. Um, and um, so... You know, we're all balancing our lives in the band and I've like, what do I do? You know, if so-and-so can't make the tour and, and our sound is changing so much, but I can't replicate it on tour. And yeah, you know, I'm doing all these videos and promo, but none of the fans are going to see this on tour because we don't sound like that because on tour. Like, we, we don't have enough money to, to bring the show on tour. Yeah. And I've lost a lot of sleep on it, but um, 
I've been forced to say, fuck it. If I may be so bold as like, I don't know. I'm powerless over it. Um, I'm going out on the tour and, and this is, and who's coming and this is what we are. And I hope you like the music. And if your favorite band member isn't there, you know, I'm sorry. And I've had club owners say, Hey, where's so-and-so? And this isn't the band that we saw in the video. And I'm like, sorry, you know, this is, Too this bad. is what it is. And, yeah. and it's a very, it's a struggle, man. And it, it is, but I, the more I go forward, the more I realize I can't fight it. I just got to do what we can do. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Um, and yeah. And, and chat about, chat about Michael a little bit. How long was he in the band and how's he doing? Yeah. Michael, um, it's been a huge inspiration. Um, and a huge part of the band, you know, he is, his resume is he was a drummer for Jackson Brown. He was in heavy metal band corn. He's toured the world so many times and um had back surgery and um was certain that that was the end of his time in the band and uh and the surgery went well and now better than expected and so um we're talking about having him come back um he's doing great talk to him all the time and uh yeah, we're just kind of in a stage of feeling out how well his recovery is and going because um, they really split him apart. Um, but, uh, you know, he's an incredible musician and incredible guy, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I was reading... I was reading in, in your bio earlier today about all the things he did in his career. And I thought, man, he's the dude's done a lot. Um, and I know he's, he's, uh, kept everyone updated online about his status on stuff. And, uh, I was hoping to hear you say that that's cool. That maybe, uh, maybe he, he rejoins at some point if, if health allows for it and, you know, yeah. Brings the band back together. Yeah. <laughs> What was it about, uh, one, one thing I forgot to ask, what is it about Denver that made you move here from Montana instead of Kansas City or Nashville or Austin or anywhere? Yeah, because I was headed for L.A. Um, I, no, nothing, I just kind of wound up here because I had a friend and, and I didn't plan to make the go here, but... I like Denver and the more I'm sure you find the same thing as your tour through LA or Phoenix or Chicago or any of those places and the thought of living there to try and even though you're closer to a lot of touring regions. Right. That's right. The, the the hard thing about Denver is just it's a full day drive to get anywhere else. But um just like it, man. I like the mountains and the air and the size is just right. It's not so huge that, you know, you get completely lost. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I know whenever I go anywhere else, the only other places I really think, wow, I could live here are places even further away from, 
from a big market. Yeah. So I say, well, I think I've reached a happy medium yeah. here in Denver. Yeah, um, I've had people tell me I need to go to Nashville my whole life. Yeah. And I've considered it very, and I probably should have, but I didn't. And yeah. so, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I think we all, all musicians go through that should I move to Nashville moment. Yeah. But uh, there's great musicians here too. Yeah. So fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think I think that about wraps us up. Is there anything else you wanted to mention or, or jump into real quick? Uh, nope. I appreciate you having me. Look us up, roughcutsband.com. Come to the, if you're hearing this before January 3rd, come to the Gothic. And, uh, and to you, Andy, keep at it, man. We're both. Thanks, brother. We're right there, man. It's like. My number one key to success, and I've said this for a long time, is to simply not stop. So Yeah, I love know. that. Cheers. To Cheers. The, to, the, to us out here pounding the concrete with, with a hammer. Yes, sir. Cheers to you. Cheers. Hey, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and uh, best of luck to you. All right, there you have it, a conversation with Ryan Chris. He's a cool dude, and as I mentioned, um, or as we chatted about in the podcast, if you're listening to this the day it comes out or the day after, they're playing uh, Ryan Chris and the Rough Cuts are at the Gothic Theater opening for Shane Smith and the Saints. We've done that gig a couple times before, and it's it's a lot of fun. They're a cool band, and they bring a, they bring a good, uh, rowdy crowd out to the shows, so... If you're in the Denver area, go check out Ryan Chris and the Rough Cuts and Shane Smith and the Saints at the Gothic Theater. I want to say a quick thanks to our sponsors, Patrick at PQ Mastering. He's been with us since the beginning. He's the mastering guy. He puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio or restoration needs, you can go to www.pqmastering.com and chat with Patrick about it. We also have Narrator RF. Narrator RF offers simple and affordable licensing on exceptional music for sync. Go to www.narratorrf.com for more information on that. All right. Happy New Year. May your resolutions keep you focused and happy and pursuing great things. May all your favorite bands stay together, including Ryan, Chris, and the Rough Cuts. We're going to play this one out, this podcast out, with a rough cut song called No Leash, No Chain. Enjoy, and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Well, I've been around and i got scars, and I've seen a thing or two. I've had my heart ripped apart by more than one girl than you. Well, I may get down, but I get back up, and I get out of bed. I could be depressed and waste my time, but I'll have a drink instead. Now I'm on the Dog.
think I've had enough And there'll be no more loving for me My dogs keep on Willie and Hank Got the only tale I want to see They never get mad, they never get sad They just want to have a ball sit on my lap and they lick my face and they don't mind the alcohol. 